Well, though uh, some stayed up and watched the TV all night, most of us just woke up to the results of the EU referendum, that by a narrow majority, Britain is to leave the European Union. And there will be people here who prayed, who held different views, who voted with all integrity. And some of you will be rejoicing in the result. There will be others who will be feeling disappointment, even pain and frustration. And many, to be honest, won't be sure what to think or what this is going to mean for uh, the United Kingdom. It's clear from such a divided vote that the UK is not so united and needs to find a way of pulling together in the future. And with that in mind, our president of the Methodist Conference and our vice president issued a statement that included some of the following words. Now is the time to move forward together in goodwill. The structures have changed, but our hopes for a fair, just, and equal society continue. We must now gather the political will to tackle poverty, climate change, and the refugee crisis. This referendum has shown both the best and the worst of our democracy. It is to be celebrated that major constitutional change has happened peacefully and transparently something that is all too rare in the world even today. We are saddened that the referendum debate has at times promoted feelings of fear and even hatred and racism. We do not believe that most people, however they voted in the referendum, wanted this. It certainly does not represent the kind of country that Britain wants to be. We must be careful now that these narratives don't shape the way that we do politics in the future. As the future of our role in the EU is negotiated, we cannot cut ourselves off from Europe. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Europe, and in particular our sister churches, and assure them that our love and commitment towards them is undiminished. I was pleased that our leaders have issued that statement. Whatever our politics, however we voted, whatever challenges the future holds for us, one thing is for sure. Christians must work together to build a brighter and better tomorrow, to be part of the answer to the world in need. A divided society needs a church that is united in love and ready to serve with integrity to the values of God's kingdom. Today is the last Sunday in our preaching series, focusing on Robert Stenazy's five practices of fruitful congregations. Uh, sorry, congregations, that's right. And uh, if you look at the practices, you've probably been to most of the services, we've been looking at risk-taking mission and service extravagant generosity, passionate worship, intentional discipleship, and finally, it's today's theme, which completes the five things that uh, Robert Schneezy says churches should be seeking to show and put into practice, and that is 
radical hospitality. The disciples in the early church became radically hospitable because Jesus, their Lord and their Savior, was radically hospitable. From our epistle reading that we had uh, read for us earlier, St. Paul says these words, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Or in some translations it says, welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you. I want to ask the question this morning, are you a welcoming person? Are we a welcoming church? Am I a welcoming minister? For in Paul's letter to Timothy, it says, now the overseer, that's a church leader, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, I've got that one right. Uh, Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but uh, gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Tough calling on our leaders, but hospitable is right in there. In fact, when Paul describes the Christian character, He says all Christ's followers should practice hospitality. It's in Romans 12. Among the many other Bible references, Peter urges Christians to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He knew them well. (laughs) I find it very interesting that in his book that we've been uh, looking at together, Robert Schneezy adds radical before hospitality. He could have just said hospitality. But Christians should be offering more than a cordial welcome to the stranger, as well as the friend and the like-minded person. There needs to be an active desire amongst Christians to be generously hospitable in radical ways. There's a sacrifice. There's a cost. There needs to be the extra mile, the other cheek. There needs to be compassion and grace and imagination and vision so that our hospitality isn't a welcome. It's actually something that draws people in, that people are embraced by our fellowship. Schneezy's radical hospitality means inviting, welcoming, receiving, and caring for strangers so that they are at home with us. The early Methodists were radically hospitable, and traditionalists at the time found it offensive. 
Let me just read a little bit from Schnees's book because I found it very helpful. Wesley preached to thousands on the roadsides, in the open fields, in order to reach coal miners, field laborers, factory workers, the underclass, the poorest of the poor. And he invited them into community and he nurtured them in a strong sense of belonging as he organized societies and classes for mutual accountability, support, and care. Wesley taught of God's prevenient grace, the preceding, preparing grace that draws people to God. By God's grace, people may be more ready than we realize to accept the invitation and the initiative of Christ that comes through gracious hospitality. I believe hospitality is actually a spiritual gift. We need to pray that we will be more hospitable. And I wonder, could you be open-hearted and welcoming to someone who is lonely and longs to be invited in for a cup of tea or a listening ear where you live? I wonder, could you be the opening, open-hearted person who welcomes someone into your home just because nobody else will? Can you express the concern of Christ in your neighborhood? It's MHA Sunday, and uh, I hope all of what I say will be mirrored in the ministry of uh, MHA because they seek to be hospitable to our uh, older uh, folk, and they are seeking to create communities of care where every person is valued and welcomed and looked after whilst they are there. Hospitality is part of what they do. And hospitality applies not just to our homes, but to the church as well. Christians have no rights in the church. We exist for the sake of our non-members. And I've said this time and time again, other ministers have said it, you have no right to any particular seat in this church. We are to draw people in and give them what is ours so that they are welcome. That is the gospel message. We are here to serve. And we need to be, find radical ways of giving in our welcome. And I have thought it was lovely today as I was walking around the church beforehand to see various members of our congregation, Owen downstairs with a group of people who'd just come in, smiles all over his face as he was welcoming people, others showing people where the toilets were and welcoming them, showing them into the church. That's what we should be. The visitor services during the week as people come to look at this building, being radically hospitable to tell them the story of this place and make of all, of faith and no faith and other faith, welcome in this place. We don't do hospitality to make new Christians. We do it for love. But if God is love, then people will find him if we are loving. Does that make sense? We don't do it to make Christians. We do it because God is love. And if we are loving, then people will find him. 
And our gospel reading is all about this, and it's a really important lesson in terms of the wedding feast. Uh, whilst Jesus was at a Pharisee's house and guests were picking the best places at the table. In Jesus' day, meals were occasions when people's status was publicly displayed and attention was paid to the guest list. They put a lot of work into it, where they were positioned and what they were given to eat as well. We see it in other cultures as well. It's the same in our culture for weddings. But when I conduct weddings, I always warn couples that there is so much stress in preparing the reception that it can put their relationship under pressure before they even start. Bringing two families together with different people and who sits with who and where they sit. And you can't put Mrs. So-and-so with Mr. So-and-so because they once fell out with each other and trying to put things together can be a tricky task. And I guess there are more arguments when putting the table plans together for the wedding breakfast than anything else. Yes, we want to pay respect to special guests and dignitaries. It's human nature to do that. It's human nature, too, to want to be with people who are like us or who like us. We can't be doing with, persevering with difficult relationships and conversations that might bring up past hurts. Our prejudices come to light when we're forced into situations that we find uncomfortable. And it's not just at weddings and parties the same applies to seating arrangements in offices and dinner parties on trains and, dare I say, in the church too. It was actually fairly stressful putting the table plan together for Martin Turner's farewell. Our former superintendent minister talked to Joan Broadhurst and her team. It was difficult to put together. But when Jesus saw this, he wanted to make a point because esteem was attracted to people being treated well and honor was highly prized and even competed over and despite Luke recording cautions over the misuse of wealth he often speaks of when Jesus was the guest of the wealthy and he was making a point here and today, he tells this parable for people who were looking for honor, who wanted to take the most valued seats to be nearest the host. And this was risky, because they, if they were trying to move up the table, there was a danger that they would be moved down the table by the host and be publicly embarrassed. And Jesus said, it's better to start lower and be invited up so that others would notice and you would gain kudos. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And there's another great challenge. In Jesus' days, people uh, invited those who would invite them back oh, I'll invite Mr. Smith because he's going to have a party in a week's time and I can go to his party. And Jesus was challenging those people, not only saying they need to be humble, 
But if you are giving out the invitation, you should expect nothing in return. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Radical hospitality shouldn't expect anything in return. We may not win status on earth, but God will reward us by faith if we put it into practice. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote uh, that during his student days, he read the Gospels very, very seriously, and he considered converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find a solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. So one Sunday, he decided to attend services nearby in a church and to talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he worshipped with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. If Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. I find that tragic. That Usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And the Apostle John had this vision of heaven, a place where every nation, every ethnic group, all tribes and peoples and tongues were worshiping around the throne of God. What a wonderful picture. We're working at it here. We haven't got it all right, but we're working at drawing nations together to worship God. We've got a lot to do. But we have to ask ourselves, have we ever been guilty of prejudice or favoritism or feeling that we own the church, which is not our church, it's Christ's church? The way that we look and treat people, look at and treat people, is very important if our Christianity is to have integrity. And in a divided world, that world needs a united church. It needs a church which sets an example to the world. And as we see things crumbling in our politics at the moment, we wonder what on earth is going to happen next. We need to be praying, we need to be uniting together, and we need to be modeling love and compassion in our communities. Favoritism can be very subtle, and we don't realize the impact that it always has on people. For example... Uh, often after services, I just use an image of the church because we can all relate to it. We'll all go downstairs and we'll have our tea and coffee and we'll get together with our friends. But if someone's come on their own to church, they can feel a little bit excluded. Now, we do work at that here. We want people to actually be introduced to other people and to feel embraced. But we have to work at it. It doesn't come naturally. 
Radical hospitality means that as a church, we make it our desire that people are embraced if they want to be embraced. Not everybody does. And some of you know what it's like to be on the edge, to feel lonely, to feel that nobody really cares for you, even in a crowd. Some of you will have memories of when at school they were picking the football team and you were the last person to be chosen and feel that sometimes that's repeated in your daily lives even today. We need to learn from lessons in the Old Testament. Do you remember the favoritism that Jacob showed in the story of Joseph that caused hatred and envy and strife within his own family? And eventually it led for over 20 years of pain before God brought them to a place where all the hurt could be healed. We need to be making sure that there's not division, there's not favoritism, that actually we are a community of love where hurts are healed. The word favoritism or partial means divided. It brings me back to our divided society. This week is Refugee Week. Whatever has been decided through the referendum What are we going to do in the world with the problem of the refugee crisis? We need to find ways, however we do it, whatever we've decided, of being radically hospitable to make sure in the world people who are in the most need are cared for. Why? Because Christians are to love one another, to treat one another as Christ we would treat Christ himself and think what it would be if we were in the situation of some of those people. I'm glad here in the church we're working at being involved with the Welcome Box project to help refugees. I think that's a really good practical thing that we can be doing. But whatever happens in the future, we need to be asking questions about how we care for the poorest of the earth. Because we know that God cares. And if we are his people, we must care too. So, coming back to Robert Schneezy's five qualities in our church life together. He says, those five qualities, if we put them into practice, we'll be the sort of church that people want to come and join. Because they can see service and generosity. They can see hospitality. They can see the other qualities put into practice. And we need to embrace these qualities, repeat them, hone them. And then we'll not only be a relevant and a useful church for the generation that we're living in, we'll also fulfill our mission and our calling together. I want to close with these words. It's a challenge from Hebrews. And it relates to radical hospitality. Don't forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, people have entertained angels without knowing it. Amen.